Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we get knocked completely unconscious, (laughs) but still manage to triumph over the episode of NXT (laughs) that originally aired on August 7th, 2014. Oh, we're so brave that way. (laughs) In this episode, uh, Eva Marie is here, uh, so that's random, but we don't have time to talk about her because we have a hastily thrown together tag team tournament to cover, baby. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 64 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Natalia put a lollipop in her mouth, and Bob and I have never been so divided in our reactions. (laughs) This episode, uh, Sami Zayn actually does the same thing, but it's fine. We have bigger fish to fry this time. (laughs) Like the official beginning of the tournament to crown a number one contender to the NXT Tag Team titles. And also, yes, Eva Marie is here. All that and more is coming in Bob's breakdown, after which we will be ringing the bell for one of our friends here in NXT. That'll be followed by the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, the Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit, and a tag team-centric installment of Wrestling Term of the Week. And as always, we'll finish up with the cheap pop quiz, but we can't do any of that before getting the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Megan Bob, you've acquired three points thus far in the current round of quizzing. Ten is the number you need before we can produce our next romance novel bonus episode. So let's see if you added anything to that total. I'm so excited to hear these questions because I've completely forgotten them. It has been so long since we recorded last. It has been a worryingly long time. (laughs) Like we're going to get to the end of this episode and there's going to be the fast forward sound effect and it's just going to be like a week later. (laughs) (laughs) All right, question number one. On the next episode, the number one contenders tag team tournament officially begins. And yes, they are still hastily throwing teams together. Thank you. And yes, one of those teams involves Sami Zayn. Who is Sami's tag team partner? Is it A, Adrian Neville, B, Xavier Woods, C, Adam Rose, D, Tyler Breeze, or E, Angelo Dawkins? Bob, you went with C, Adam Rose, and you are correct. Wow. Yeah, nailed that one. I wonder why I chose that. Good for me, but I wonder (laughs) what I was thinking. I guess I'll have to listen to the episode and find out. Question number two. Also on the next episode, and this is more of a warning than anything else, we will meet a main roster wrestler named Eva Marie, known primarily for her role on Total Divas and for being widely considered to be among the least talented people to ever set foot inside a wrestling ring. Why is she here? A. She's here to get her ass kicked by Bailey, and then we don't see her again for a year. B. She's here to get her ass kicked by Charlotte in an impromptu NXT Women's Championship match, no less, and then we don't see her again for a year. C. She's Sasha Banks' new quote-unquote best friend, and she's here to do crony heel work. D. She's here to start a feud with Alexa Bliss based on their kayfabe history as rival cheerleaders. 
Or E, she's involved in the next chapter of Jason Jordan's investigation into the disappearance of Ty Dillinger. <laughs> Bob, you did not pick E, much to my chagrin. <laughs> you actually got really close with this one. You picked B, that she was here to get her ass kicked by Charlotte and then we don't see her again for a year. Very close. The correct answer is actually A. She's here to get her ass kicked by Bailey and then we don't see her again for a year. That was an experience. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it. I have a lot to say about Eve and Marie on this episode. And question number three. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, the next episode features one of my favorite spots in wrestling, a wrestler jumping in front of their tag team partner and getting hit by a move that was meant for them. Which wrestler sacrifices himself for his friend? Is it A, Aiden English sacrifices himself for Simon Gotch? B, Big Cass sacrifices himself for Enzo Amore. C. Kalisto sacrifices himself for Sin Cara. D. Justin Gabriel sacrifices himself for Tyson Kidd. Or E. Sami Zayn sacrifices himself for whoever his tag team partner is. Please, God, future Miles, don't write the word sacrifice for me to read that many times ever again. Good God. <laughs> Bob, you went with, uh, very reasonably, I thought, went with A, Aiden English, sacrificing himself for Simon Gotch. I'm not going to say that's never going to happen. Yay. I'm not going to say it won't be glorious when it does. <gasps> but the correct answer in this case was B, Big Cass for Enzo Amore. Uh, and I'm sure we will talk about that. So Yes. Oh, I uh, have thoughts. I have many thoughts. Got another point there, Bob. Up to four. Well done. Yeah. Moving right along into the mysterious romance novel that I will get stabbed if I don't like. So looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, you will. It's true. I joke, but I would. <laughs> All right, Bob. Well, with that, I believe it is time to dig into Bob's Breakdown. We're at episode 64, Miles. We are. As the Beatles sang, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? So I feel like our podcasts are doing pretty well in both regards. Our Patreon coffers are still keeping us in winter squash money. Indeed. And uh, our podcast is probably needed now more than ever as wrestling tries to figure out where the heck it's going and how it's getting there. Fucking seriously. How is 64 treating you, Miles? I've heard that despite your advanced podcasting age, that you've gone from being able to lift just one child to being able to lift two. Oh my God. Lifting the first one is getting harder though. Let me tell you. <laughs> and the second one is like, so Rowan was really uh, skinny. Like he's, he's been skinny uh -huh. his whole life, like tall and thin his entire life. Like always very high percentile for tall and very low percentile for weight. Uh -huh. And Simon is high percentile for both. <laughs> so, oh, wow. He's a big kid. Oh, man, you're getting a true workout. My podcasting age, uh, I'm starting to feel it a little bit, but you know what? I'm I'm pushing ahead. There's no end in sight. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to do a lot of Tai Chi to keep ourselves limber. In That's right. That's advanced right. podcasting years. Podcasting yoga, baby. Let's do it. Ooh, yeah. Oh, God, I don't want to Google that. It probably exists. Anyway, <laughs> turning to this episode of NXT, our commentary team is Jason Albert, Alex Riley, and Rich Brennan. So I'm like, mm, okay, we'll see. It, I, it was not nearly as bad as I expected it to be with that I, team. Right? I came out of the gate going, oh, Jesus. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, oh, it's, I mean, there's more fat shaming than I would appreciate on any product of any kind. But that's Alex Riley for you. But other than that, it's, uh, it was okay. Yeah. Match one. We are starting the tag team tournament. And I yeah. am legitimately curious about who gets the belt next. Mm -hmm. Two possibilities before us are the team of Ty Dillinger and Jason Jordan, wrestling detective. 
So we'll check in on the wrestling detective in a moment. Now, unfortunately, they are up against Enzo and Cass. Cue the strumming violin strains of Italian restaurant music. And no, I'm not stereotyping. That's literally how their music starts now. Yeah. Bada boom. Relist Italian stereotypes in the room. Do you think that whoever wins this tournament wins the titles? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't think they ever really wanted to put the belts on the Ascension. It never seemed <laughs> like they were excited about it. It seemed like that's what they had, but they needed sure. to do something with them. Not just them, but with the belts themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they've been treading water until they could put the belts on somebody else that's felt like. You think the Ascension's kind of run its course a little bit here? I mean, not with me. Right. I, they could keep doing this ad infinitum. Like, and I would (laughs) still be happy about it if, like, every three weeks, if they just had a meaningless tag team match. (laughs) I would not hate that. Ty and Cass are starting off, and there is a faint Enzo chant. There's an initial lockup, and after Dillinger gets shoved to the corner, he conferences with Jordan, and they agree to switch. But oh no, Jordan is getting tenderized by Cass, but Dillinger causes a distraction, and Jordan takes advantage. I had a moment of going, wait. Are they heels? They can't be. They're such good, nice, fun boys. Their alignment has always been a little bit unclear to me. But in this match, they're definitely wrestling as heels. That's very weird, but fair enough. Jordan is giving Cass a thorough walloping of elbow drops to that one part of the back that's really difficult to scratch. So that's going to be annoying for Cass. (laughs) Jordan and Dillager trade him off. And Miles, Cass is the face in peril. He is. I don't hate it. <laughs> Thoughts, your feelings on this. I, I would give them to you, but I have to wait. Okay. I have to wait until a, a later segment. <laughs> Enzo gets the hot tag and it actually works briefly. Tiny yes. punch, tiny punch, bounce off the rope. And then Enzo gets laid out by a kick to the face and appears to be clinically dead. <laughs> Dillinger and Jordan, rather than going for a pin, decide to do a weekend at Bernie's and sort of haul Enzo around a bit. (laughs) Comedy requires sacrifice. You do what you got to do. That's right. Enzo is in the corner and Jordan is about to bullet train directly through him when Cass, from the apron, throws his body through the ropes and sort of like inserts himself between them so that he takes the brunt of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Dillinger and Jordan are yelling at the ref about this interference, and he's yelling back, I don't know, look, I also know that's not really how the transfer of kinetic energy works. You don't have to bring your 10th grade physics into here, because, buddy, I took an undergrad class about it, and I know, like, seven things about physics. Also, yes, I guess that was maybe legal. (laughs) While the ref is occupied talking about Newtons and vectors, Jordan picks up Enzo like a giant sack of garden soil and is probably going to do some sort of move, but Cass takes advantage of the ref distraction, too, by big-booting Jordan in the snoot. Jordan falls on his back. Enzo sprawled atop him. The ref notices, one, two, three, and Enzo and Cass advance. There are some comedy beats in this match, and I appreciate that. What I don't appreciate is how little attention they paid to Jason Jordan, wrestling detective. There was mention of it, though. Fucking Albert brought it up. (laughs) (gasps) What did he say? I forgot. On commentary, he said something like, uh, I wonder if they'll be like on the same page. And he mentioned that like Dillinger had gone missing and Jordan had to go find him. Like he, he talked, oh. Albert talked about it on commentary, which I was like, really? Are we just, we're pretending that never happened, but you're just going to bring it up on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> so let's address it here, Miles. What yeah. do you think Jason Jordan wrestling detective has been up to lately? 
<clears throat> the Continuing Adventures of Jason Jordan, <laughs> Wrestling Detective. My plan, as always, had worked to perfection. <laughs> After losing a match to Adam Rose, the Rosebuds no longer saw me as a threat. <gasps> as a result, I was able to infiltrate their never-ending party, hoping for some sign of my missing tag team partner, Ty Dillinger. Ty didn't have much going on between the years, but he was my partner. You don't let it slide when someone kidnaps your partner. <laughs> It didn't take me long to find him, passed out in the arms of a big guy in a gladiator getup. <gasps> I figured I'd take him home, sober him up, and let him have it for messing around with those druggies. But it turned out that Ty hadn't been drugged. <gasps> He'd been beamed in the back of the brain pan. <gasps> when he came to, he didn't remember anything about it. Didn't even remember how he got to the party. That was strange, but I didn't think much of it. The kind of thing happens a lot in this business. I focused on getting ready for our match against Enzo and Cass in the tournament that could be our ticket to the big time. When the day of the match came though, it turned out I couldn't just ignore what had happened to Ty. Too many things just didn't add up. <gasps> it started when I woke up that morning and found that my hair had been stolen. <gasps> and yeah, again, it's wrestling, these things happen, but I got my hackles raised just a little bit. Then in the match, Ty had Enzo dead to rights after a super kick, but didn't pin him. Just stood there and stared even as we watched our chances of advancing slip away. The kid was thick, but was he really that thick? It was only afterward, after I'd sent Ty off to shower and double-checked that he hadn't ingested any of the Rosebud's drugs, that the next clue showed up on my doorstep. Bald, hairy, and with more lower lip piercings than is strictly legal in the state of Florida. <gasps> nice haircut, Jason Albert said, his voice low and dangerous. Oh, I caught no. your match. That Ty is some kind of screw-up, huh? If I didn't know any better, I'd say more so than usual. What's it to you, I asked. Albert smiled. Kid, he said, you have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. My <sighs> eyes narrowed. Boom, 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 I thought. <gasps> Let me hear you say, the plot thickens. Oh, fuck! Oh, god damn, I should have done a Mickey's Blaine. I did not! <laughs> Okay, next time I'll do I'll do a real like hard boiled detective one. I wasn't sure what you were doing. I just kind of went with my gut. No, you made the right call. I made the wrong call, Miles. Uh, I'm wrong. No, okay. you did. You did a miracle. <laughs> well, Bob, what do you think Jason Jordan's been up to uh, since the last time we saw him? Interestingly enough, I also noticed his hair is close cropped now. Mm. What you don't know is that it just recently grew back. See, he thoroughly shaved it all off four weeks ago to infiltrate a hair loss pills for men scam and ah. expose it as a front for offloading expired birdseed. They made it into a sort of fake protein powder for hair growth because they're criminals. <laughs> also, stop making people feel weird about their hairline. Jason Jordan thinks all bodies are valid and beautiful and says no to hairline shame. Good That's job, right. wrestling detective. Good job, wrestling detective. I enjoyed that immensely. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking amazing. Yeah, we're doing that forever now. Yeah, for sure. I hope Jason Jordan never leaves. Backstage, Sammy flirts a little with Renee Young, but in a nice and lovely way, like old flirt friends. Yeah. Was there a moment where she could have ended up with Sami Zayn? There's chemistry there, no lie. You see it too, right, Miles? Oh, God, yeah. I'll be talking about it somewhere later, too. <laughs> oh, it's, God, it's so good. Anyway, Zayn is in the tag team tournament for whatever reason. But who is his partner? 
on the bracket, it's just three question marks. It's in a just row. three question marks. Is he tag teaming with the Riddler? I am probably not. <laughs> but he's been assigned someone not medically cleared. Then Kid and Gabriel came to just be shitty and say he doesn't have friends. And I'm like, Sami Zayn is all friends. Sami Zayn's made of friends. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> There's some mutual shit talking. Adam Rose rocks up and says, baby, you're not alone in this world. <laughs> so they're going to tag team and he offers Sammy a lollipop. Definitely not new. Sammy looks at Renee. Renee nods like, yeah, you should probably yeah, take it. Yeah, do it. And Sami Zayn fucking puts his mouth around the lollipop <laughs> that Adam Rose is holding in his hand. Uh-huh. I don't ship it, but it made me want to ship it. It's fucking magical. Best, <laughs> one of the best things that's ever happened in wrestling. <laughs> Match two, CJ Parker versus Xavier Woods. And I really don't want to talk about it. I know it's a decent match, but and there's multiple people in the crowd with pro Parker signs because they're not idiots. But I hate seeing Parker not getting any kind of real crowd reaction. And I hate seeing Xavier in the position of being against the environmentalist and therefore a jerk. Mm. But Okay, broad strokes. Xavier Woods starts out aggressively, really has an axe to grind. Parker dodges a spear from Xavier, who careens shoulder first into the post. There's a CJ's garbage chant, I think. Yeah, I couldn't exactly tell what that chant was, but I think CJ's garbage is probably right. Now Parker is in control and it's all ground and pound. There's a wave happening now. Who is this match for? They're both talented, but this is not the way miles what is wrong with this match i mean i like it but it's not it's not like they've given the audience really any reason to care about the feud i mean like they haven't done a good job at all with xavier woods they have barely used him when he has been used he's been kind of a dick like he hasn't really been a a baby face that you can get behind it's not really a compelling storyline i think that's the problem Woods gets the crowd back on side as he mounts a relentless comeback with back-to-back pin attempts. He gets up on the ropes and leaps almost the fucking length of the ring to take out Parker, who's rolling away. Parker kicks out of a pin attempt, and we get Parker doing a bit of cheating. I think he got Woods in the eyes somehow with the rope. Uh, uh, I think he just kind of threw him into the ropes. I don't really know if there was much cheating there. Okay. Then firemen's carry across the shoulders that ends with Woods being slammed to the mat and pinned. The end, I don't know what they're doing after this, but I got questions because here we have CJ Parker doing this environmentalist heel. Daniel Bryan does it, I think, later on. Um, Oh, much later on. Much later on. And it is fucking fire and everybody hates it and loves it. Yeah. Is it just because Daniel Bryan is inhumanly talented? Is that he's the He's pretty much the best wrestler. I mean, it's... You can't compare what other people do to what Daniel Bryan does because he's he's <laughs> the best fair. at every part of this. Okay, but also enough. like also it's a different you know Daniel Bryan was doing it as the champion like he was WWE champion when he was doing this. Daniel Bryan got a championship belt made from wood and hemp. Like that's how <laughs> fucking that's how committed he was to that. Like Parker, it's just not even anywhere close to the same level. And I do want to say like. Just to add to what I was saying before, like over the course of the match, the crowd starts getting behind Woods just because he's wrestling the baby face and like he's doing some cool stuff. He's getting some chance like he's getting some attention. If they had put any effort into this at all, then it would have been a different story. And like and how do you not put effort into making Xavier Woods a baby face, especially, you know, in hindsight? Short soapbox. If you want 
actual goal-oriented news about the climate, green innovations, and like a meaningful understanding of how different communities address our changing world, go to Solutions Story Tracker. Because CJ Parker's out here doing this environmentalist message, and I feel like there's a lot of weird ways that journalism handles that. Yeah. Solutions journalism is an approach to journalism that focuses on being neither fatalistic nor feel good, but investigates how people are making change and moving forward to solve major issues, like from COVID to climate to racial justice beyond. And they sort of fundamentally believe that if you report on the severity of a problem and give no tools or information on how the problem can be meaningfully addressed, that you're basically shouting fire in a theater and then yeah. just not telling people where the exits are or how to properly get to them. I mean, since you brought it up, I might as well plug Yes Magazine, which is one of my employers. Uh, yes, and they are frequently included in this because yeah. the way it works is that Solution Story Tracker aggregates from major credible news outlets that meet their standards. And it's basically like Yes Magazine gets in there a lot. The New York Times occasionally makes the mark. Well, um, OK. Well, every now and then, you know, you don't strike out every time you go to bat. <laughs> but I think it's basically the best way to get information about not just the problems that face us, but what people all over the globe are actually doing to try and address these problems in concrete ways. And it's good for your brain to see that there's more than just fluff or agony in the world. So I recommend it. Agreed. And uh, hey, give uh, Yes Magazine a shot. Yesmagazine.org. It's a quarterly journal of practical solutions, and yeah. I write for it and fact check for it. So check it out. Yeah. There's better stuff out there than just whatever fucking headlines come out on Seriously, CNN. like stop doom scrolling and go check out these websites. Yeah, no, doom scrolling is bullshit and doesn't help anyone. It's like screaming into a void. Why is no one talking about this? No, the problem is no they one's are. fucking reporting on it. Yeah. You have to go yeah. find that shit and it's hard to find. But Solution Story Tracker and Yes Magazine is a good place. Yeah, and the problem is that most of the people actually engaging in solutions are indigenous people. So yes, exactly. they don't get in the news that often. Titan Tron. The beautiful face of Tyler Breeze. Breeze is challenging next week for the championship. Ah! Oh my god! I think it's going to be pretty fucking good. Spoiler alert, it's pretty fucking good. <laughs> match three. Lady Whistledown's match report. Yes. Lady Bailey's arrival at any event in the season is cause for delight. This occasion is no different. Now, the same cannot be said of Lady Eva Marie, newly arrived in the town for a visit. Lady Bailey has always acquitted herself beautifully as a partner, whether in the Sir Roger de Coverley or in the ring. But never has she had a partner in whom the assembly has had so little faith. The moment there is a lockup, the gathered crowd began chanting, You can't wrestle at Miss Marie. And indeed, as she bounces off the ropes and comes towards a back elbow from Miss Bailey, her pace slows to a near halt before the blow <laughs> hits. And then she tumbles to the mat. Miss Bailey is a beloved member of the Ton, though, and there's much joy when she executes her delightful spin on the back of her opponent. Ava Marie chooses to focus on where her strengths may lie and does some knees to the back of Miss Bailey. To her credit, Miss Marie ably completes a suplex upon Miss Bailey. This does not stop the gathered from chanting worse than Batista. <laughs> Perhaps discretion is the better part of valor, and so the match is drawn to a swift close with a belly-to-Bailey suplex and Lady Bailey claiming victory. The Ton appreciated it deeply and thanked Lady Bailey for sending Lady Marie on her way back to total diva sheer. 
Megan Bob. Yes. Would you be at all interested in mm-hmm. an Eva Marie trading card? I really would, yes. Eva Marie gets a lot of shit from wrestling fans throughout her career, and to a certain extent, it's deserved. She really is quite bad at this. But to be fair to Eva, it's not as though she was ever put in a position to succeed. Mm. She was a former soccer player dabbling in acting and modeling when she stumbled across a WWE casting call in 2013. She was hired... She was immediately cast in Total Divas, despite not really being a diva yet. And she was put on main roster television and put in matches, despite the fact that she'd only been training as a wrestler for like two weeks. Oh, fuck! And this is according to an ESPN story from 2017, a feature on Eva Marie. The focus was always on her appearance. Beyond her supermodel good looks, her first notable act on Total Divas was to dye her hair bright red and begin referring to herself as All Red Everything. For the first year of her career, she wrestled almost exclusively in tag team matches. This match against Bailey was actually just her fourth televised singles match. <gasps> it's hard to be mad at her for not being a good wrestler when she was never really given the opportunity to become a good wrestler because that's not even a little bit why she was hired. Wow. But boy, is she ever bad at wrestling. Like, obviously, glaringly bad. No <laughs> intuition for the thing at all. Like, just terrible at it and you combine that with the fact that she's coming into this particular era of women's wrestling we've spent all this time talking about how we got to where we are she's coming into this era of women's wrestling as a mostly untrained model and then you put her in front of an nxt crowd in a match with bailey yeah you're gonna get serious nuclear go away heat for her Even though Eva Marie won't appear on another episode of NXT for a full year, I wanted to do a trading card for her instead of ringing the bell, because I think in this case, it's important to know where she came from and the extent to which she was set up to fail. Plus, all this context is actually really important to understanding the character work she does when she does come back in a year. But Mm. since that's going to be a while, the thing to remember is that she is the living embodiment of the You Can't Wrestle chant. And no, that's not fair, but also, she's really bad. (laughs) Add. We get the trailer for Ladies and Gentlemen, My Name is Paul Heyman. I am fucking fascinated by this man. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about the mystique that he holds in wrestling? I know you've talked about him somewhat whenever he appeared, but he has a weird position. It feels like he doesn't have the power of Vince McMahon, but he has like a different power that's also incredibly important. And I was also wondering, is he actually still fascinating after a deeper dive or is this a shallow pool rather than a deep one? Oh, I think he's very fascinating after a deeper dive. And we've had that documentary um, on the bonus episode polls before, and I would like to to watch it with you sometime, even if that doesn't get voted in, because I think you would really enjoy it. You know, he's one of the best talkers the business has ever seen. Um, one of the shrewdest manipulators the business has ever seen. <laughs> like, that dude's dad was a lawyer, and it shows. Oh, um, wow. His mystique comes in part from the fact that he was the mastermind behind ECW, which, you know, Unlike WCW, which was kind of like a, you know, a Ted Turner backed, like kind of like AEW is now still very much a billionaire's club. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But ECW felt very much like something different, like a sort of a grassroots counterculture uh, groundswell type thing. And Paul Heyman was sort of the cult figure at the center of that. Um, And the stories about his behavior, about who he's lied to and how he's lied and how he convinced people to believe him. People who worked for ECW will tell you that, like, he had everybody convinced that they were going to be fine right up until the moment they folded. And, you know, he's kind of a smarmy, really like shrewd, intelligent businessman. And he's a great wrestling character, too, because he's so good at talking and so good as a manager and as an announcer. So there's a lot going on with him. And also when uh, a lot of his story uh, in terms of this documentary involves that he was behind the scenes booking SmackDown for a while. And when he was doing that, SmackDown was great. So like he also Mm. has a really like fundamentally sound understanding of the wrestling business and how it works. He's been around it since he was a teenager. So like he's just a really like interesting character in a lot of different ways. Is he the true king of the carnies? I mean, Vince is the true king of the carnies because Vince is the one who's been who's made the most money. (laughs) Well, I feel like he's the true king of the carnies in that Paul Heyman, it sounds like, is the one who knows how to do a con the best and, and is actually practiced at conning. Vince is the king of the carnies because he's been doing it the longest and has made the most money. But like in terms of who's the best at being in the carny and running the con, it's definitely Paul Heyman. Hmm. Interesting. Match four main event. And it's time for fun and silly, talented boys to do a wrestle. <laughs> it is Tyson Kidd and Justin Gabriel versus Sami Zayn and Adam Rose. And Kidd doesn't bring Natty to the ring. And the crowd does chant for her, but I found it really interesting because at this point, Natty is just a living Chekhov's gun. Yeah. And it's fascinating that she basically can't come to the ring unless you're using her for some further storyline development, Mm -hmm. which it doesn't seem to be inherently true of all corner folk. No, not at all. It's just very cool that Natty's that potent that you're like, oh, fuck, Natty's here. Shit's going to get weird. Gabriel handsomes his way to the ring. Zane charmingly skanks to the ring. Rose parties to the ring, and then Zane starts doing the Adam Rose dance prance along with Rose, and it's fucking <laughs> precious. And the announce team is all doing it, too. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so good. The camera cuts to Gabriel, who's got this look like, I could probably prance way the fuck better than that. <laughs> but he's right, like, I'm not gonna. He's like, okay, buddy. The bell. Kid and Zane start with a credible round of wrestles before Rose is tagged into the proceedings. Tyson Kidd gets a smack on the bum for his troubles. And quickly exits the ring to go, wait, maybe I do want a threesome with Adam Rose? Is that a thing I want? (laughs) Gabriel comes over and is going, mate, no, come on, head in the game. Rose slinks out of the ring and speeds by Gabriel to give him a bum smack. Gabriel appreciates this not at all and charges into the ring to take on Rose. Rose delivers an extraordinarily explosive spine buster. A spine buster is like if a toddler throws themselves at you and you sort of lift them up slightly and then gently plop them down on the bed back first, except you do it like it's a huge move and you're like, oh, man, it's really going to hurt. Except yeah. in wrestling, it is kind of a huge move, I guess, and it probably does really hurt. Anyway, it's very cool when you see Gabriel get all that hype before being driven into the mat. Kid breaks up the pin and is the legal man now. And oh, no, Rose is in trouble. He is in the tree of woe, which I originally wrote as the tree of woe. Whoa. Which I, I guess is like when you string somebody in the ropes and then you do Keanu Reeves impressions of them for a bit. Now, you know what? Happy Matrix 4 release week, baby. Yeah. Good to see Carrie Ann Moss being 
fucking tremendous all the time everywhere. Absolutely. Back from commercial, Gabriel is roughing Rose up and gets a leg drop to the throat. Kid takes over, but they just do those quick tags to do lots of tag team maneuvers, holding Rose still for drop kick to the chest, holding him in place for blows to the gut. There's a moment where Rose looks like he might overcome Gabriel, but no, Rose kicks out a lot, guys. I don't know what party drug he's on, but apparently they're pretty good. Kid is tagged in and does a springboard elbow drop on Rose, who gets his knee up. So Kid is sidelined with elbow owies. Rose <laughs> makes the tag to Zane. It's bananas. All the Zane bouncing you can stand, and even that beautiful starfish somersault over the top rope. Rich Brennan calls it tope con hilo. This mm. is the first time I've heard lucha terms in WWE, as far as I know. AEW uses them intermittently. Excalibur in particular uses them regularly, but also uses the Japanese terms for many of the moves. In Lucha Underground, they often use them, but not always, as far as I remember. What the fuck is the deal with how various organizations and announcers develop their style of calling moves for play-by-play? Is this also a weird thing in other sports? Do you call a sack, like, a bag? (laughs) No. Real sports have a top-down set of rules and terminology. (laughs) That's a good point. In wrestling, it's just a matter of, like, where you have worked and, like, what you've heard a thing being called. Every move has a million different names, probably. Like, you know, we've already talked about the whole clothesline lariat debacle. (laughs) Um, You know, when you flip backward and drag your opponent over your head with your legs, is that a Hurricane Rana or is it a Frankensteiner or is it a head scissors? Like, it just depends on what you've heard the move called most often and what you think the legitimate name of it is. Because, like... People steal from each other in wrestling and you'll have somebody show up being like, you know, oh, hey, I invented this move. Here's my name for it. But it was actually invented by somebody else in Japan or whatever. So there's a different name for it. So it's like somebody like Excalibur. I'm not surprised that he pulls out the Mexican and Japanese terminology more often because, you know, a lot of those moves legitimately are were innovated in Mexico and Japan as opposed to the States. So I think he's trying to be accurate and give credit to international wrestling and the people who invented those moves. I suspect that Rich Brennan's embracing of that terminology, assuming it continues, is one of the reasons why he became uh, something of a fan favorite announcer in NXT. Oh. Because like, because wrestling fans love it when like they're in on something, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you think that's a suicide dive, but actually it's a tope con hilo or whatever, you know? So mm. wrestling fans love nothing more than being able to correct other wrestling fans. <laughs> Addicted to the will, actually. Yes, exactly. So everyone's on the outside now. Oh, I'm clenching. Rose leaps from the fucking corner post onto the other three and lands hard on his tailbone. Well, Sammy gets out of the way because Sammy's holding the other two up. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to fucking cry for him. Zayn and Kid are back in the ring. Kid is subjected to the Huluva kick and the pin. Zayn and Rose advance. Zane is basically helping at this point a thoroughly pained and wrecked Rose who still has to try and do his exit and like, you know, get his hand raised and do all that stuff despite being kind of visibly injured and then kind of get backstage. And I'm like, oh, please be okay. He gingerly gets down from the apron and walks slowly backstage and he's putting on a brave face. But that landing looked so bad. But I am extremely glad they won. (laughs) I got questions. Rose is already on the main roster. I know you said it's not going well for him, 
But, like, why bring him back here? And why would you put him over with the NXT crowd? That doesn't help you on your main roster stuff. And I appreciate this fan service, but I feel like they zagged on me, kind of, because I was like, well, you've got this Mm. guest. He's probably not going to stick around for the tag team tournament. Obviously, they're not going to, you know, it's a good chance to put Kid and Gabriel over, maybe, but they didn't, even though I know they don't like the main roster people to lose, but still felt weird. And then it doesn't feel like this is the end of the feud with Kid. But I don't know what the fuck they're supposed to do after this. Like, do you do a trios match, a ladder match? Like, uh, I, what do you do? Do you just have infinite stipulations? How are they going to ever fucking end this? Or is the feud with Sammy already blown off? And this is meant to resolve the one with Rose? What's happening? In terms of where things are going with, like, Sammy and Kid and Rose, like, you'll get answers to that in the next few episodes. A lot of the times what happens with NXT when people are called up to the main roster, especially because NXT is taped in advance, um, mm-hmm. is that you'll often see the the NXT person moving up, like, hang around for a little while in NXT just, like, to finish up their run there, right? Oh. Like, to somehow put some kind of capper on it. They haven't really, like, mentioned a lot of Adam Rose's, like, main roster stuff, which is interesting. They're almost treating him as a different character because they're not... A lot of the time they'll talk about what they're doing on the main roster and they're really not here. Um, he's still pretty new to it. I think right now he's sort of splitting his time and sort of finishing up whatever they wanted to do with him in NXT because he got called up so fast. I think they're kind of like, oh, shit. All right. Well, let's let's just get a little bit more out of you before you, you move up there for good. That makes sense. Is the feud with Sammy over? With Tyson and Sammy? Yeah. Sammy did get a pretty definitive win over Tyson yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago. So, like, it's over in that sense. But, I mean, they're still going to be involved together. Like I said, next couple of weeks, things will become a little bit more clear. They're not going to be friends. No, they're not going to be friends. <laughs> All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. What did you think of this episode overall? I liked it the first time. I think I liked it more the second time. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of really good stuff in it. And even the Eva Marie match, it's short. It doesn't like overstay its welcome. And it's interesting to kind mm-hmm. of see Bailey be the ring general, I guess, yeah. in this weird yeah. fucking situation. And to see the crowd reaction and them get through it. And then the main event's fucking great. There's tons of good yeah. shit in that. Uh, Man, lots of really fun good. character stuff. There's some good comedy in this episode, and I appreciate that. We're going to get into uh, some more stuff about why we like this episode in the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. But first, we have to quickly ring the bell. What? Yeah, we do. And on this episode, we are ringing the bell for Xavier Woods. Aww. Yep. Uh, This is, at long last, Xavier Woods' final appearance in NXT. He's definitely going out with a whimper instead of a bang. But I think it's been clear for a while now that he wasn't long for the NXT world. Hmm. Interestingly, this match was taped on July 17th, 2014. Four days later, on an episode of Monday Night Raw, Woods would approach fellow black wrestlers Big E and Kofi Kingston about joining forces as a trio. (sighs) And this was the birth of The New Day, which has since become the most popular and most successful faction in WWE history. I don't think there's any way to argue that point, at least in the WWE, in terms of like wrestling in general like you could maybe say it's like them in the bullet club basically yeah. i could do an entirely separate podcast about how amazing the new day is but i don't have to because they do their own podcast and that's great yeah. and you should listen to it i'm just gonna say it one more time like listen to the new day podcast it's amazing and you can find out so much information about like how they came about and how, what it was like when they were first coming together as a group 
The point is that despite his ignominious exit from NXT, Xavier Woods has gone on to have an incredible main roster career. He's an 11-time tag team champion, current king of the ring, and you have to think it's a matter of time before he joins Kofi and Big E in the ranks of WWE World Champions. Kofi had a great run. Big E's the current champion as we record this, and like the way the WWE likes to do stuff, you gotta assume that at some point Xavier is getting at least a little bit of a run. At least I hope so. Yeah. Beyond that, he is just like the platonic ideal of the term living your best life yes uh up up down down his video game channel on youtube holds the guinness world record for most subscribed to celebrity video gaming channel he is a recurring cast member on acquisitions incorporated and has performed at pax conventions he's teamed up to develop esports alongside riot games and he's about to host his own show on the revived video game network g4 i mean god damn it his favorite fighting game is tekken that means he's a fundamentally good person i simply cannot emphasize enough how amazingly nerdy this man is and how much cool shit he does when he's not wrestling and i don't even give a shit about video games and i think this yes i agree i'm like should i watch that i don't understand video games or care that much about them but he's so endlessly charming and lovely that i would watch him do anything Exactly. I have watched his video game content and not know what the fuck he was talking about, but it's him. So I watch it. And as it happens, he's also fucking great at wrestling. So, like, I'm sad in that regard that he's passing out of our lives here on this podcast. But considering everything coming in his future, I can't be too upset about it. All right. With that, Bob, it is time for the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. So in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? The Paul Heyman act just really captured my attention. I don't know why. (laughs) I was glued to it. I couldn't fucking look away. That's very brief, but there was another brief thing that I saw, which was there was a sign in the audience early on that said, like, I came all the way from Italy to watch NXT, and that was very sweet. Yeah, that's nice. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? I mean, aside from Sammy and Renee just, like, being delighted to see each other backstage again. I, look, uh, there was a moment where everything was from that moment. And I was like, okay, I can't do it all about that. If you watch that, the way they like lean into each other's face, like there had to be something there. I refuse to believe there was never anything between them. I know. I know. I, it's very weird that like Sami Zayn is so endlessly lovely and just a font of joy and kindness. He's also like very earnest and all these other things. And then yeah. like John Moxley is none of that. Right. It's I know. So interesting to go like, that's a totally valid flavor, but I'm just kind of like, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Somebody should make a version of twilight with Renee and Sammy and Moxley. <laughs> oh my fucking God. You're the one who's read it. You can do it. I can do it. Absolutely. Maybe I will. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan use here? Alex Riley said about Ava Marie. That's a beautiful woman right there. And Jason Albert immediately responds, all women are beautiful. And I was like, <laughs> that's really nice. Thank that's you, Jason true, though. Albert. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? I don't think I'm going to do this every episode, but like, <laughs> oh, I did your to talk son ab- do a thing? Yes, he did. I Yay! have to talk about <laughs> 
because he started he watched part of the episode with me before we were recording this morning and because uh, I started watching it before he woke up and then he woke up and watched the rest of it with me um, during the Parker Woods match he said did that did that person jump and I was like yeah that person jumped when Xavier Wood jumped and he was like did that person fall down and I was like yeah that person fell down and he was like that's silly um, <laughs> very adorable but then I have to tell you when Bailey came out he was so excited oh my he was God. like who is that? And he's like two. He just turned two. Like he was so happy when she came out. <laughs> oh my god, that's precious. Anyway, the thing I actually heard was that uh, the very end of the episode, Sammy and Rose have just won, and they're doing their dance. And you hear on commentary the announce team talking about whether or not they're going to dance, and like I think they're talking about whether or not they're going to dance on the table. Yeah, because like. Brennan is talking to Albert and he's like, no, you can't do it. The table won't withstand it. The table will collapse. At which point Albert says, nobody puts Albert in a corner. Oh my God. And like, they don't cut to it. And I don't think he's actually doing it. I feel like they're just doing a bit. I could be wrong about that. But like, Brennan is like, no, don't do it. That's a $10,000 table. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, that's so good. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? The lollipop moment. Of course. The tiny facial features. I cannot describe to you that Sammy is like appraising the lollipop, Mm -hmm. gives this micro expression to Renee, who sort of gives a, well, I understand your hesitation, but you got to do the thing. You got to do it, And also is like, no, if he offers you drugs, you you should take them. They're really good. (laughs) And that he's like, all right, I'm going to do it. And then he has a micro pause before he is halfway to the lollipop and then sort of recommits and goes in (laughs) for the lollipop. I didn't even look at Adam Rose's face during any of this. And I probably should go back and watch it and see what he's up to. But uh, (laughs) it's it's a tiny masterpiece. Miles, what did your human heart feel? I had really strong feelings about the opening match, the Enzo and Cass and Jordan and Dillinger match, and specifically about Enzo and Cass. Like, it's okay to feel a way about them as people, but you watch that match and you start to really understand why they're about to get as popular as they're about to get. The fact that Cass is the face in peril for the entire match. Enzo standing on the apron the entire match. Cass is the face in peril. Makes the hot tag to Enzo. Enzo gets one punch in. Oh my god. And then immediately gets floored. (laughs) It was so fun. And that's all he does in the match. And then Big Cass has to come back in, save him from Jordan, and then kick Jordan while Enzo is on top of him to get the pin. Like, it's just... (laughs) It's just so good. It's so compelling. Like, you've just got this little fucking weird guy, has an enormous mouth, can't do anything to back it up. But it doesn't matter, because his fucking friend is seven feet tall and is going to beat the shit out of you and really, really cares about him. Oh, it is a really compelling combination. It's so smart. I love it so much. They're one of the few solidly comedy wrestlers in WWE. Because, I mean... They don't do anything that doesn't have, like, what's the joke embedded into it in a lot of ways. Some of the other wrestlers dabble with that, but most of them don't. It seems like such a rare thing that you get. In WWE, anyway. Yeah. 
There's not a ton of comedy wrestling in WWE. You get some. And I mean, like, they make attempts at comedy, but Vince's <laughs> idea of comedy is nope. pretty much not in tune with anybody else's. So his efforts at comedy are just not great. But, you know, you got Santino Morella trying to do his stuff at the time. That's um, pretty fun. He's a pretty good comedy wrestler. Um, you had, like, Hornswoggle was, I guess you could consider a comedy wrestler, considering this kind of stuff that he would do. Um, there's been a lot of good humor and a whole lot of bad humor on WWE programming, but you rarely get characters like this who really live in that comedy world, but you get them more often in NXT, I think, than you get on the main roster, really. Do you feel like Aiden English and Simon Gotch are sort of in that vein? Yeah, I really do. They are kind of in that place where it's like their shtick is so silly, but like we said, they commit to it, right? So those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. But speaking of commitment... Bob, in this episode, who are you awarding with the Borens Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit? I'm giving my Lawrence Bolivier Award to the entire commentary team specifically for dancing to Adam Rose's music. Yeah. They're not great on commentary. It's okay. But I damn sure appreciate them committing to doing the silly thing as a group because it's fun and it makes for fun TV. I deeply appreciated that Alex Riley put aside his intermittent toxic masculinity gimmick to just have fun and make the audience happy. That's their best choice. Yeah, that was a finalist for me, too, for this award, actually. Oh, Miles, who did you choose? I ultimately decided to actually give it to Adam Rose himself. And there are a couple reasons for that. The first reason being I loved him in the backstage segment, like just his delivery of all his little catchphrases. Mm. And like he swaggers into that scene with so much confidence, knowing that his character is ridiculous and that <laughs> there's really no reason for him to be here other than like he had a match with Tyson Kidd once. But it doesn't fucking matter. He comes in. He does his thing. He's got that like weird stare that he does when he's like, like, don't be a lemon, be a rose, bud. And, uh, and then, like, when he gets into the ring, you talked about that dive he does off the top. And, like, sometimes committing to the bit means committing to actually being a wrestler and not just being a, a person who does silly shit on the outside or backstage. Like, yeah. that dude can go. And I really appreciate that his bit is that he is a fun-loving dude who likes to have a good time. But when the bell rings, man, he's nothing to fuck with. Yeah, that's a good call. That was extraordinary. All right. That was the Bo Runs Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. Bo Dallas, wherever you are, we miss you. We do. Uh, we think about you. No uh, Megan Bob fanfic for this episode because we did not have a wrestling term of the week on the last episode. We do, however, have a wrestling term of the week today. And mm. the wrestling term of the week is <gasps> Tag Team Cohesion. Oh, Okay. This is less a like an official term that people use a lot, more of a label for some stuff I want to talk about. I wanted to bring this up now that we're in the tag team tournament, both because the tournament itself contains relevant examples and because, believe it or not, we actually are about to enter an era of NXT in which there's a real tag team division. And I think we should talk more about some tropes of tag team wrestling. So in general, when you're watching a tag team match, there's two types of tag team that are potentially in play. The first one is what you might call a regular or dedicated tag team. So these are people who are basically an established double act. They almost always wrestle in tag matches as partners. They're constantly associated with one another. They wear matching gear. They come out to the same music, and they use a lot of double team moves that you can't pull off with only one person, including usually their finisher. 
They are a tag team. That is what they do. That is their role on the show. And as we've seen, you need several of these just to have a functional tag team division. Examples from our current coverage include The Ascension, The Vaudevillains, Kalisto and Sin Cara, Jordan and Dillinger, and Enzo and Cass. The other kind of tag team you'll see is a pair of singles wrestlers who happen to be teaming up for whatever reason, often just for one match or for a tournament. These wrestlers have their own gimmicks outside the team context. Despite being a team for the time being, they generally wear their usual costumes, come out separately, each to their own music, and stick to their usual moves rather than the creative double-team maneuvers you see in regular tag teams. Mm. More importantly, they're frequently depicted as being not on the same page. (laughs) Um, Much of the time when two singles wrestlers are put together... Uh, The story in question involves whether or not they can work together because they are by nature more individualistic and egoistic than dedicated tag teams who inherently understand the value of us over me, right? Singles wrestlers being put into a tag team is often just a way to start a feud between them or to continue Mm. an existing feud. If you ever heard a wrestling fan jokingly use the phrase, but can they coexist? (laughs) That's a reference to how ubiquitous this kind of story is. Sometimes they do coexist, and in that case, they usually become a regular tag team (laughs) and stop being a pair of singles wrestlers matched together. But usually they don't. Mojo Rawley and Bull Debsey are an example of this kind of team, and you immediately predicted they were going to start feuding with one another. Sami Zayn and Adam Rose are another example, and while they do seem to be getting along for now, their match in this episode was still very clearly laid out as two singles wrestlers who happened to be tagging. Mm. They won the match, but they didn't have the aesthetic or in-ring cohesion that you see from dedicated tag teams. And anyway, they were facing Kid and Gabriel, who, even though they've teamed together in other contexts, are also primarily singles wrestlers in NXT in 2014. Which brings us nicely to the most important point. According to wrestling tradition, a dedicated tag team will almost always defeat a team composed of two singles wrestlers because of tag team cohesion. Tag team wrestling is fundamentally different from singles wrestling. It uses different rules and requires different skills, primarily the ability to see yourself as part of a unit, as part of a whole, as opposed to two individuals. In a tag team match, cohesion is the most important thing, and more cohesive teams generally defeat less cohesive teams, regardless of what they might be bringing to the table as individuals. As a result, a team composed of singles wrestlers defeating a dedicated tag team without some kind of weird shenanigans going on is considered bad booking. Again, Mm. traditionally. That hasn't stopped WWE from doing it all the goddamn time because they don't value tag team wrestling and they don't want their single stars to look bad. And even NXT will sometimes break this unwritten rule as we move forward. But I think that most like diehard wrestling fans will agree that a dedicated tag team should pretty much always go over a thrown together one in the same way that the side with the smaller numbers should always lose a handicap match. It's just Mm. how it should be done, because doing it that way preserves like the fiction and also preserves tag team wrestling as its own unique art form separate from the rest of the show in which friendship and community or very least cohesion are the keys to victory. Mm. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit as we move to the tournament, because I think it's important to know that like there are going to be tag teams that are dedicated. There are going to be tag teams that are just put together and Generally, the dedicated tag teams are considered to be better at tag team wrestling and more likely to win tag team matches, even if the singles wrestlers are bigger stars. That was the wrestling term of the week, and come back on the next episode for Bob's fanfic explaining tag team cohesion. All right, Bob. 
it's about time for the end of our show. I think it's been a good one. Hope you've all enjoyed it. But we can't go before we complete the cheap pop quiz. All right, let's see. Once again, Bob coming in with four points in this edition of the cheap pop quiz. Question number one. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think that just because the tag team tournament already started, we were done hastily throwing teams together? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, 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 by no means. Yeah. So, yay. I love that shit. It's awful. It's the best. <laughs> Which former jobber has a new tag team partner who we're meeting for the first time and thus has somehow gotten into the tournament? Is it A, Baron Corbin? B, Wesley Blake? C, mm-hmm. Steve Cutler, D, Aaron Solo, or E, Angelo Dawkins. And I realize that this question could probably have been spoiled if Bob taken a close look at that bracket they put up, <laughs> but I'm betting that they didn't do that. You are betting correctly. <laughs> I feel like they're going to do something with Baron Corbin soon. Baron Corbin is your answer. But they should do something with Angelo Dawkins. They definitely should. And they will eventually. Yeah. Question number two. The next episode also features the official tag team tournament debut of the team of Mojo Rawley and Bull Dempsey, whose demise Megan Bob has already predicted. (laughs) How does that match end? A. They defeat their opponents easily and appear to be working well together. If any blow up is happening between them, it's still on the slow burn phase. B. They win, but they're not a cohesive unit, with both men tagging themselves in and trying to one-up each other, and it's obvious their partnership isn't long for this world, despite their victory. C. Their tempers explode during the match, and they end up ignoring their opponents and fighting each other all the way to the back. The match is ruled a no contest. D. Bull gets pinned to lose the match, and when Mojo tries to comfort him and tell him they'll have another chance someday, a frustrated Bull beats the dog shit out of him. Mm. Or E, Mojo gets pinned to lose the match, and Bull beats the dog shit out of him because he sucks and was a legitimately terrible tag team partner, prompting the crowd to begin chanting, Thank you, Bull. Uh, I think it might be E. Is E your answer? Yeah, I think so. Alrighty. And question number three. On the next episode, Tyler Breeze challenges Adrian Neville for the NXT Championship. How does that match end? A. Neville retains cleanly with the Red Arrow and is still your NXT Champion. B. Breeze wins cleanly with the Beauty Shot and is your new NXT Champion. C. Neville wins by countout after Breeze misses the Beauty Shot while outside the ring and crashes into the ring post. D, the match ends in a double countout when Neville and Breeze superkick one another at the same time while outside the ring. <laughs> or E, Neville wins by disqualification when Tyson Kidd interferes and attacks him. Hmm. Breeze definitely doesn't win. Okay. But the question is, how strong do they want to make him look? You know what? I'm going with the double super kick. I'm sure that's not it, but I fucking love that trope. It's so fucking fun. (laughs) I hope they give me this Christmas present. All right. Double count out. Mutual super kicks. That is your answer. (laughs) Come back on the next episode to see if Bob scored any more points on this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of the next wrestling fan, Bob. As always... Thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you. You know what? It's nice to have wrestling discourse that's pleasant. Well, usually pleasant. <laughs> sometimes it's just weird. Well, sometimes you have strong lollipop thoughts and then we have to disagree. But anyway. <laughs> Thank you as well to our patrons, everybody who's gone over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and donated a little bit of your hard-earned money. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you so much that it is now time for the next match. <gasps> In the Next Wrestling Fan Federation Trios Tournament. It was a banger, guys. Some real shit happened. The first team to come out are uh, the existing tag team of the Culture Warriors, Sebastian Couture and Matt Matrix, with their tag team partner, Addison Hush, who, if you recall, has taken a vow of silence until they win the championship, vastly prefers signs to chanting. Mm. Uh, and in fact, there was a question, Bob, about whether or not this team would be cohesive at all, because Addison Hush, not known for their amicability toward other individuals, because they tend to, like, talk. Yes. You know, and it's really annoying. Uh, however, in this case, something's gone right, because they come out with their usual signs, but they're all, like, done up and pretty, because, like, Sebastian Couture has been working on them. Oh, man. The calligraphy it, on that guy. Yeah. And then, in addition, they actually have a bunch of charts and graphs that Matt Matrix helped with demonstrating the superiority of signs over chanting definitively. I love a scatter plot. <laughs> Their opponents for this match are the again existing tag team of Seth Luna and Minerva Frost. Uh, that is our good, good werewolf boy, former champion. And Minerva Frost, not Fury for this match because she's not in a fucking blood feud. Um, <laughs> but she is her usual over-the-top glam celebrity self. And their tag team partner, Eric LaRue, the Phantom of the Wrestling Ring. <laughs> this match starts out, kind of have a little bit of the, the shining the baby faces at the beginning of the match, right? One of the interesting things about the early part of this match, Bob, and I'll let you jump in in just a second, but one thing that I, I wanted to point out that I noticed is that Seth Luna and Eric LaRue working really well together. Luna and Frost are the established tag team here, but Luna and LaRue are really, like, on the same page, and, like, even they kind of look surprised by it. You think it's just a fellow creatures of the night kind of situation that, like, kindred spirits? <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. I think oh, that man. might be what's they happening both here. <laughs> hear the music of the night. It just sounds a little different. Exactly. Speaking of the music of the night, there's a moment in the match where Seth Luna goes for a big awoo, and the crowd... Always does the big awoo with him right before the drop. Of course. But Hush is opposite him, just presses a finger to his lips and goes, shh. There is like a fucking huge boo. But also oh, the problem is that everybody also loves doing the shh. And so <laughs> there's a dueling <laughs> chant of bork, 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 shh. Now, I want to say Seth doesn't actually ever do borks. However, it's very hard to chant awu awu awu. <laughs> so the audience just went like, okay, look, we're just going with bork. So bork, bork, bork. Shh. I mean, by now Seth has become champion. He's got like bork shirts, you know, that's part of his merchandise. Oh, 100%. You know, while we're on the subject of Addison Hush, I do want to say that uh, they have sort of an instant rivalry going on with Minerva Frost because. Let me tell you, if there's one thing Minerva Frost likes, <laughs> it's talking. Oh, God. It's making noise. Very loquacious. And the idea of somebody who doesn't speak is like a personal insult to their being. One of the things that is best in this world 
is anybody handing Minerva a mic. It's just very powerful. That's right. Minerva is the best promo in the company. Oh, yeah. And I get the sense, like, maybe in the lead-up to this tournament, they've had some prior encounters, right? Like, mm-hmm. Minerva's been on the mic, and, like, Hush has kind of come out to, like, get her to calm down because she's so, like, good at what she does that everybody wants to hear her talk. Yes. So, at a certain point, they're just, like, going at it in the middle of the ring. Luna and LaRue are going at it with Couture and Matrix on the outside of the ring, and they're sort of, like, fighting around the barricades and slamming each other into the walls and stuff, while Frost and Hush duke it out in the squared circle. There's a thing that I have to point out that only Matt Matrix does in the company, and it's the fucking most brilliant thing in the world. He has a thing called Newton's Third Law. He only does it, like, once per match ever, But it's incredibly compelling because it makes no fucking sense. It's a physics thing, not a math thing. Once per match, if somebody hits him with a big move, he holds up three fingers, then a middle finger, and hits them back with the exact same move because (laughs) equal and opposite reaction. Now, the fucking best part, and this makes even less fucking sense, if one of his partners has a move that's super effective, but they're not tagged in for some reason, they'll hit him with that move and he will turn and do the move on their oh in-ring opponent. God. And they call that Newton's Cradle. Oh my God, I love it so much. It's Matt Matrix is doing like next level weird shit and it's gold. Oh, that's fantastic. I think that LaRue, who's a little bit newer to the company, is getting brutalized on the outside by some of this shit, some of the Newton stuff that Matt Matrix is doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, those laws of physics, they are no fucking joke. That is brilliant. (laughs) Also, big problem because Eric is one of the very few masked wrestlers in this company. True. Sebastian doesn't want you to take that mask off. No, but Sebastian Coltier calls it derivative and uninspired and, like, goes for it. The audience goes fucking nuts. And Minerva, like, flies at him with a tornado to, like, protect Eric. Mm. The thing is, though, that Sebastian Coltier has priorities, a la Tyler Breeze. And immediately, like, the thing you can do, if you do anything with hands, that's his drawing hand. If you fuck that up, Ah. this is a real problem. And so drops down, protects that hand immediately and goes to protect it from injury because like, what is an artist without, you know, the tools of creating art? I feel like that happens like closer to the beginning of the match, right? And then once things break down a little bit and they're fighting outside, Sebastian is holding LaRue at one point on the outside. Mm -hmm. And then Matt Matrix is going to jump back into the ring and like suicide dive. In fact, he's going to like jump onto the ring apron and dive over (gasps) the turnbuckle onto LaRue. And maybe that'll be enough for them to get that mask off. But Seth Luna comes to the defense of his uh, newfound simpatico partner Aww. and takes down Sebastian. And as Matt Matrix is coming over the top rope, Bob, I don't know if you've ever seen this in wrestling, but a lot of the times uh, wrestlers have used flash paper, uh-huh. which they sort of light on fire and then throw in their opponent's face. Oh, geez. We all know that the Phantom has some fire abilities at his disposal. Oh, yeah. As Matrix comes over the top, LaRue ignites the flash paper right in his face <gasps> and uh, prevents the move from happening. And the mask is staying on. Let me tell you that much. Although I think underneath it, he's just more beautiful. I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong under there. I think it's just too powerful. 
He's going to be like Kane, where like Kane was originally a burn victim who wore a mask because his face was all burned, and eventually they had to take it off and explain why he was fine. <laughs> At some point, the battle on the outside has uh, gotten into the neighborhood of the announced tables. <gasps> and as you know, Bob, it's never a good thing for anybody. No. The top of the announce table starts coming off, the monitors start coming off, and the two teams start battling for control to see who will actually like go through the tables. The table ease, if you will. <laughs> and that battle eventually is won by the Culture Warriors. Sebastian Coulter, uh, he's got a submission move called the Art of War. Oh my god, that's so And cool. he actually gets it onto both of the competitors at the same time, while they're on top of the announce table. And while they're in that position, Matt Matrix comes off the top rope to the outside with the Fractal Splash. <gasps> oh my god. And uh, just puts... Both of them through the announce table while they're in the submission hold, effectively taking them out of the match. Because mm. that's just, it's too much to come back from. And now Minerva Frost is facing a three-on-one battle. But let me tell you, she damn near wins that fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> she just, like, keeps refusing to go down. They keep hitting her with finishers. She kicks out. She kicks out. She kicks out again. She gets back up, taking motherfuckers down. At one point... She hits toodaloo motherfuckers in the corner on Sebastian Couture. He's going to be down for the count. The crowd is counting along with the referee. And Addison Hush pulls the referee out of the ring. <gasps> After that spot, it's just eventually too much. The Culture Warriors and Hush do indeed prevail, despite the admirable showing by Minerva Frost. These are some fucking heels right here. And after they've won that match, they're not done. <gasps> no. They start ganging up on her some more and beating her down some more. And her tag team partners are still recovering on the outside. Jerks. But who hits the ring to make the save? Hmm. But the team of Courtney Barrister, attorney at Ma, Mildred Burns, and Carol Staples. The team we saw lose the opening round contest a couple episodes ago. They established themselves in that match as a formidable force, and they are here to run off the victorious Kultur, Matrix, and Hush, and uh, help Frost to her feet, lift her hands in the air so the crowd gets a good look at this absolute beast who almost won this thing by her own damn self. Oh, fuck. And oh, if man. you add Minerva Frost to that group, <gasps> I, I don't know. This stock could be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> they better buy some body bags. It's going to be murder. <laughs> All right. So the Culture Warriors and Hush advance. Hope y'all enjoyed that match. Uh, we're having another one coming for you on the next episode. And what it does will be halfway through the first round. So slowly but surely, we're going to way through this, y'all. And if you cannot get enough of us talking, and Lord knows, how could you? How could, you, how could anyone? Frankly? We certainly can't. <laughs> Unstoppable. It's frankly a problem. You can go... <laughs> To the Smash Fiction feed, I know it seems like it's deserted, but it's not. It comes nope. alive with the power of Nicolas Cage once a year and rises from its grave to, I can't do a Nicolas Cage impression, but it certainly does one. For those uh, not in the know, Bob and I used to be part of a podcast called the Smash Fiction Podcast. 
And over on Smash Fiction, which is a show we no longer do, we had an annual tradition every Christmas, every holiday season of doing Cagemas. And it would be four Nicolas Cage characters in a cage because the Smash Fiction premise was that it was fictional characters who would win in the fight, right? Yes. And this was very specifically a cage match as in a wrestling cage match. A wrestling cage match, yes. So those of you who are wrestling fans should be interested in this just on its face. We're no longer putting out new episodes on Smash Fiction because all of us have moved on to other projects. But... Every Cage Miss, we come back together and we watch four Nicolas Cage movies and argue about who would win the fight, specifically in a wrestling-style cage match. It's a great deal of fun. Bob and I are both on the episode, as is Claire Mulcairin, who is a patron of ours and who you've heard on this podcast before, uh, along with Kit Mulcairin, who... If you are a patron, you heard them on our Hotful Boyfriend coverage. Which we need to go back and do Hurtful Boyfriend once. Look, look, the stars are going to align and we're going to have time. And Miles, we are going to get high on bird fumes. Absolutely. And uh, Chris Newton of uh, the Mega Dumbcast, who has also been a guest on our show, was the judge in that, the special guest judge for that episode. So that was released on Christmas Day. You can go check that out. Also released on Christmas Day, Bob. Yes was a new episode of the Hard Choices podcast. Oh, boy. We rank the fuckability, not how hot they are, but like no. how they do a bone down, of the characters from Andrew Lloyd Webber's acclaimed musical Cats. And that also features myself and Megan Bob and Claire. Along with special guest Annie Creighton from That's I Will right. Fight You. It is over on the Hard Choices podcast where we uh, rank the fuckability of all fictional characters uh, from various universes. I strongly encourage you to go listen to it because I think it's the best one yet. Go check that out. Go check all of that stuff out. Everything else that we do, uh, Bob and myself are all over social media so you can um, look up all of our various projects. Thank you so much for listening to all of those. Thank you so much for listening to this show. We appreciate you more than we can possibly say. Uh, thank you so much for being patrons, for, for just being listeners, for being part of this journey. We will see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Hasta luego! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? <laughs> I don't think that's the... Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is fucking it? is. Yes, 100%. Okay. You know, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking of Arthur's song for being 63 from Cabin Pressure. <laughs> <laughs>
covert plug for cabin pressure, always. <laughs> I would like to see a world in which the Ascension have it and then progressively harder, more legitimate tag teams come in and still get beaten every fucking time. And like, they just put over the Ascension as like, I don't know, man, they're just really powerful. Even though everyone can see that that's clearly not the case. That would be so fucking hilarious to me. Bring in the Usos and they're like, man, I don't know. I just, that fall of man got me. 